Welcome to this episode of Voices of Truth, Season 6, Episode 9. Today on our episode, Indigenous Authors of Ontario, we'll be talking about two very talented writers, as well as their achievements, accolades, and contributions to readers worldwide. Stay tuned to find out who. So today we're going to be talking about uh, a very influential author, not just in Canada, but uh, worldwide in fact, and we actually read one of his books in class. Any ideas about him? Uh, my guess is Richard Wagamese. You would be correct. Today we'll be talking about Richard Wagamese. Now, Mr. Wagamese was born to Marjorie Wagamese and Stanley Raven of the Wabasimong Independent Nations. And I'm sorry in advance, I completely butchered that. <laughs> His family, uh, they follow the traditional lifestyle of the Ojibwe people, you know, the fishing the hunting, the trapping, um, yep. until he was about three years old and his parents actually abandoned him and uh, they uh, succumbed to uh, alcoholism. So that was very unfortunate. Definitely. Uh, they end up actually going to a drinking town uh, 96 kilometers away. So what, a couple hours at least. Yeah, back in that day, that's a long hike, yeah. especially for a three-year-old. Oh my God. He <laughs> ends up uh, actually crossing a frozen bay at three years old with his siblings to seek help and shelter in Minaki, ends up being spotted by policemen and he's sent to the Children's Aid Society. Yeah, they were adopted out uh, during the 60s scoop and he was isolated. Well, he was taken away and uh, uh, his siblings yeah. all got separated. So he was isolated from his culture and his family and pretty much everything um, at such a young age. That, that really, you could see the effects it had in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. And the effects it had on his parents' lives as well because... Uh, they, they were both removed from their families at a young age, and they were actually survivors of the residential school system. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then uh, later on, which means he didn't uh, go to residential school, luckily, but he did drop out of yep. school at 16 years old. And uh, when he couldn't find a place with friends, he resorted to living on the streets because he had no other options. So it led to him, yeah. you know, traveling around a lot, working any job he could find. Um, really just unfortunate times, tough times. De- definitely. But thankfully... Um, Due to the solace kind of he took in books when he was a kid, uh, he ends up landing a reporting job in 1979 with an indigenous newspaper in Regina called The New Breed. Yeah, and uh, he actually won an award in 1991, uh, the National Magazine Award for column writing. And he was the first mm-hmm. indigenous person to, to win that award. So that was pretty incredible. Yeah, definitely. Um, very inspirational. Yeah, he's such a new, new, you know, breaking, breaking, uh, breaking stereotypes. That was really incredible. That's nice, yeah. Um, he also actually ends up writing a popular indigenous affairs column for the Calgary Herald and works as a television and radio broadcaster. Yeah, and uh, then he writes his, his first novel, 1994, um, which won the Writers Guild of Alberta for best novel. So that's pretty mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. Uh, he follows that up with a truckload of novels, but uh, the one that stands out to us the most, which we read in class, is his 2012 novel, Indian Horse. Yeah, read that in class. It was a great book. Um, I highly Definitely. recommend it. Incredible. And yep. you know, after doing the research about Richard Wagmies, you know, I, I, we began to see these these parallels between his life and the main character Saul Indian Horse's life, and then in the novel he wrote. So yep. uh, both of their parents abandoned them at a very young age. Um, now Saul went to a residential school where Wagmies was uh, was it just adopted out during the the sixties scoop. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you see these effects, and when he, when when they were working around and traveling a lot, they both grew th- through that in life. So you can see uh, these pretty strong parallels between uh, his character that he created and himself. For sure, 
And uh, there's also another very strong parallel is that Saul also finds happiness in books when he's a kid, very similar to uh, Richard Wagamies. Yeah. And uh, it, it ends up helping both of them out later in life. Saul ends up writing his journal, which leads to his healing. And Richard Wagamies also writes with forgiveness and understanding about the neglect he experienced from his parents uh, because he understands the abuse and trauma they suffered in residential schools. Yeah, and after, you know, after he starts, he begins to understand this and, you know, he comes to terms with, with everything and gets this knowledge, mm-hmm. he, he works to share it, which is great, which uh, everyone should aspire to do, um, help others find their peace. So he began leading yeah. the, these writing and storytelling workshops, um, not only just for writing, but also, you know, following tradition with many of the indigenous cultures, uh, oral storytelling. That's uh, in, 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 in the past, so many of their stories have been passed down. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's actually quite obvious that Richard Wagamese himself recognizes the um, the benefits in sharing stories. Uh, in in one of unfortunately I couldn't find an audio clip for this, but in one of the interviews he had, uh, he says, "quote Simply and briefly put, I get my inspiration from the knowledge that there's someone out there in the world who's just like me, curious and desiring more and more knowledge of the world and her people. I write so that when they pick up one of my books, there's an instantaneous connection, like we're collaborating on the story." Man, so yeah, that is I, a, I think that's pretty heavy. Yeah, that yeah. it's it's great how even when he's writing the novel, he was trying to you know work together with others. He says that we're collaborating on the story, and then he goes on to teach others how to write. It's just beautiful how how he shares uh, what he's learned, which uh, reminds okay. me of another author, uh, author, author Tanya Talaga, yeah, um, who is a journalist uh, for the Toronto Star for twenty years, and she wrote uh, a couple of her own novels and was uh, sprinkled with awards all over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that she was that she was yeah uh, Mr. Loga is of Polish and indigenous descent with Ojibwe roots in Fort William First Nation in northern Ontario yeah and uh, thankfully Tanya um, did not attend a residential school or was adopted in the 60s scoop she was a little bit past that time however her grandmother yep. did attend a residential school and that's one of uh, her greatest influences on Tanya so she she credits her grandmother and also when she was 20 years old she found out that um, a, uh, one of her sisters had been given up for adoption and that three of her mother's siblings had also grown up in the foster care system so those oh, yeah? are what she accredits for for her her sources of in, uh, um, influence to become a source of influence oh that was good I like that <laughs> thank you uh, <laughs> Mr. Laga attended the University of Toronto and while at U of T, she actually, which sounds nowadays, it's very insignificant, but she edited the uni paper and that really yeah. gave her a push towards journalism. Because uh, she ends up journal- being a journalist for Toronto Star for 20 years. That's insane. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, obviously it gives her a very, very solid foundation in writing, um, mm. which leads her to go on to create or to, to, to publish her first book, Seven Fall- Fallen Feathers, Racism, Death and Hard Truths in a Northern City. Um, which she released in 2017. And the book is about yep. uh, seven indigenous children that died in Thunder Bay, hundreds of kilometers away from their families, uh, because they, they, they had to leave to find quality education due to the lack of secondary schools and, and post-secondary schools on their reserve. And uh, this actually reminds me of another uh, influential indigenous person we learned about, Miss Donna McKay, and I can't pronounce her last name, and just in lieu of butchering it, I'm just going to fast forward through it. Um, yeah, she is actually the first indigenous heart surgeon in all of Canada. 
and uh, which is like a very big achievement in and of itself. But one of her big, big campaigns is she's pushing for increased uh, representation of uh, post-secondary education on reserves. Yeah, incredible to see. Um, very important. What the, how many uh, how many people are working towards this, and it's great to hear. Um, I can't wait yeah. until we see you know representation in in all of the fields because definitely you know there's been progress. There's been a lot more indigenous youth um, making into the trades, but you know like like Donna McKay is saying, there's there's not enough representation in in the university fields and and, and the surgeons and such. Yeah, it's it's great, but Miss McKay herself realizes that uh, some of them have kind of been forced to give up on their dreams, you know? Yeah. Um, she mentions she, she was only able to become a heart surgeon because she moved out of the reserve and went to Ottawa. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible to see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she didn't just stop her influence there because uh, she was invited to deliver the 2018 Massey Lectures, um, which are an annual five-part series of lectures about issues of um, contemporary interest and societal issues, you know, affecting culture. Yeah. Um, and then after that, she continues to write, uh, or she goes on to write a second book, All Our Relations, Finding the Path Forward, um, which is bringing attention to the indigenous youth suicide rates, which is talked about, but you don't see much action uh, rooting for it. Yeah, a bunch of mouths flapping, but no one uh, seems to do anything about it, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a real shame. Huh. Mr. Lugga really is a jack of all trades. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, she's, she's even going on this March to uh, join a familiar name, Autumn Peltier, which we talked about in class. I'm sure you remember her. We did. We did. And uh, they're going to be doing a video conference about uh, addressing domestic abuse and violence within the home, which is, you know, a problem that faces not only the indigenous community, though it does, um, but everyone can really learn something from it. Definitely. It's very, very important to be talked about. And uh, speaking of Jackson Valtrade, Ms. Peltier herself is not too bad. Yeah, She's she's not only a full-time student, but she's a representative yeah, she's for, an advocate for, for water, water everywhere. Yeah, she took after her aunt, um, who did the the uh, the March of the Great Lakes, advocating for water. Um, so she's really carrying on her ancestors' legacy, but also creating her yep. own. She's making steps that we haven't seen before. Um, so it's gonna be really amazing to see what she does through her life. Thank you for joining us on Voices of Truth, Season Six, Episode Nine. Shout out to the amazing Richard Wagonese and his novel Indian Horse, available on Source Worldwide, and to Miss Tanya Talag and her novels, Seven Fall of Feathers, Racism, Deaths, and Hard Truths in Northern City, as well as All Our Relations, Finding the Path Forward, all available worldwide. And check out Tanya's wonderful podcast, Seven Truths with the Grandfather Teachers, and don't forget to tune into her conference with Autumn Peltier this March.